It's show 110 of the RIM Pro Report. This week, Florian Van Oppenheim of Databox. And the latest industry news. This show is sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. What I appreciate about O'Neill is that they believe that technology should be a business enabler, not a barrier. Technology should help you do more with less. It should give you greater control of and insight into your record center operations. Ultimately, it should assist you in making quick, informed business decisions critical to your record center success. And if that sounds appealing, and I think it should, you can learn more about the MattO'NeillSoft.com. We're officially working from the new studio today, but issues presenting themselves already. Whatever, we're going to do the show nevertheless. Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Report, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. Let's just end. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. Yep, it's me, and we're back from our brand new studio in San Diego. As excited as I am by the new setup that includes an audio and video production space, I must admit, we're still having issues here in the audio studio. The issue appears to be the only brand new piece of equipment that we brought to the new studio that splits out the telephone line sounds from the caller into the audio mixing board. And if that all sounds like gibberish to you, it is. It was the one piece of equipment we had to update because of the type of phone system we have. But as of today, it's still not working. Either it's flawed or maybe more likely... I'm flawed. So well, I've just had to improvise to get ready for the call with Florian Van Oppenheim, who's the chairman and managing director of Databox, a six-location record center company in China. He has a pretty amazing story of building the business, and I know how much you like to hear these type of interviews. So based on the technology situation, we've reverted to old technology and we're actually calling him via a conference line and we'll port that conference call feed into the show in a few minutes but uh, before we get florian on the line i'm going to catch you up on the latest industry news core 365 solutions the company we formerly knew as a data chambers records management is growing their business into charlotte north carolina they just announced the purchase and upgrade of a new 81,000 square foot building and are investing about $4.8 million to do so. The new facility will have a 1,450 square foot vault and capacity for about 500,000 cubic feet of record storage. So congratulations to Chris Kelly and Andy Brown on the new facility they just bought. This is a reminder of the upcoming European Information Management Conference, November 5th to 7th in Brussels, co-sponsored by all our friends at Nade, Prism, and Arma, as well as all the vendors and, and more. Uh, I'm pretty excited about the conference and look forward to seeing many of you who are going and catching up with a whole bunch of old friends as well. Hey, not only are elections happening in the U.S., a PRISM ballots are out for the 2013 Board of Directors. So if you're a PRISM member, don't forget to vote. Shred School with Ray Berry has a special sales and operations workshop coming up in Las Vegas November 14th to 16th. 
So if you're interested in that, you can check his stuff and Shred School out at shredschool.com. I truly believe the Access Retriex deal from last week has cornered the biggest news of all, and I think it's still the most talked about item in the industry these days. But if you have any news you want to share, let me know. All right, I'm going to switch over to the conference line feed right now. Hopefully this all goes well. But I know for sure, based on testing just before this, that the line quality is nowhere near the same as we typically get from the studio set. So uh, hang on tight while I make this switch. I am extremely excited to have Florian von Oppenheim on the phone today. He is the chairman and managing director of data box in china florian are you on the line yes uh, hi tom nice to talk to you and we've struggled to connect but uh we're we're just making it happen today so l- let's begin by telling right. me about a data box tell me a little bit about the, your company what what's data box the size of it what are the services and maybe more importantly where are you um, let me start with the uh, the last question. So I'm, I'm based in uh, Shanghai. That's where the uh, headquarters of uh, DataBox are. And um, the company's in uh, six cities across uh, China. Um, we've got um, about 45 staff. And um, our business is pretty um, standard for the industry, so mostly uh, the document storage division. And then we do also a little bit uh, on scanning, um, tape storage, and uh, destruction. Okay, so you you have a standard record center operation. You just happen to have it in six locations across China. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, so yeah. So permit me to ask the question. You sound like you're British more than you sound like you're Chinese. <laughs> Yeah, that the, the my unfortunate accent is from uh, living 20 years in the UK. But actually, originally I'm um, from uh, Switzerland and uh, Germany. Really? Wow. I was just going to say um, I moved out to China uh, nine years ago. Okay, so let's let's go back to 1993 because I looked at your LinkedIn profile and I learned some interesting things about you. 1993, you are at Oxford University. Uh, so mm-hmm. what are you doing at Oxford University, and what's your plan for the future as you're going to school at Oxford? Okay. Back in those days, um, I'd say I was rather naive and idealistic. So um, I started, I studied uh, human sciences and uh, kind of planned to go into uh, into the UN. And then uh, later on, I got more realistic about things and got into business. And so you went to Johns Hopkins University in the U.S. for your master's? Is that what happened? Yeah, that's right. Uh, so I did um, international relations, MA, with um, with a finance major. And um, at that stage, kind of uh, wanted to uh, join uh, Wall Street and then later on go into foreign policy. So really, uh, records management wasn't at all on, on the radar screen at this time. Okay, so then you finish your your master's at Johns Hopkins, and you've got your undergrad from Oxford, and you end up at Goldman Sachs, which doesn't surprise me given mm-hmm. what you were trying to accomplish. So what are you doing at Goldman Sachs? So there I was in uh, portfolio management for, for private clients uh, based in London. Okay. And um, so I did that for, uh, for, for three years. Great learning curve, you know, a lot of responsibility, good, good place to start a career. 
but at some point I was starting to get uh, itchy feet to do something else. I was I was kind of getting a little uh, freaked out by the fact that I was so replaceable. That's, that was uh, the thing I kept telling myself when I was there. You know, from any moment I could get fired, and you know nothing would happen. Oh, I mean, like the world, you know, wouldn't wouldn't change or right. Because the, the the competition and, and stuff, so I wanted to do something a little more, a little more different and uh, adventurous. But then uh, things started getting a bit more exciting. Okay, so tell me about the transition. You're at Goldman Sachs. You're concerned about your future. You feel like you can get, you, you know, it's easy for you to get fired given the the global footprint of Goldman Sachs. You're just a number there. How do you make yeah. the leap from Goldman Sachs? to starting a record center in China. It's a huge change. I tell me tell me right. the whole genesis of the idea and where it came from and what got you to to make this huge leap. Well, there's really one man uh, I must thank for that and that's um Tim Schlesinger, the um founder of uh, OSG Records Management. And um by a sort of off chance meeting I met him um in Moscow back in 1999. So this is even before I joined Goldman Sachs. I was traveling there at the time, and um, I was put in contact with him. Anyway, he kind of opened my eyes to the uh, the beauty of the business model of uh, records management, like the recurring revenues, the stable business side of it. And uh, it's something that I, that I kept the um, back of my mind. And so when I was starting to look outside of the box, if you will, at Goldman's, I remembered that business. And at the same time, I also wanted to um, try my luck in emerging markets. I'd done a couple of internships before in emerging mar- markets in far-flung places such as Uganda and Pakistan. Wow. And um, so I, I got myself a backpack and um, left Goldman's, and literally a week later I was on the plane to China. Um, so, yeah, backpack in uh, around China for two months. This is uh, now 2002. And I, I, was, I was humbled and impressed by, by China. I could see that this was... A country on the rise, but more more importantly, there was there was an aspirational people there who were willing to work um, hard to um, to improve their lives. And right. The country, um, you, know, you know, was was also in, uh, opening up at that stage. So I kind of um, so once I got back to to the UK, I gave Tim a call and I said, you know, how about we take your business to China? And uh, he liked the idea, and I, I got a franchise off him and uh, did some market research in early 2003, um, and also some training at OSG for about six months, because he, he was um, heavily in uh, Eastern Europe and in Russia, Right. and uh, haven't looked back since. All right, so the connection to OSG is really strong, that significant partnership. That's where you, you sort of cut your teeth on the business then and, and learned what it yeah. was that was actually happening versus a conversation in in a wherever, a meeting at somewhere where Tim's explaining the business. You actually started learning the business in a fairly significant way at that point. Yes, that's right. And um, so six months later, which... Uh, from the first conversation with Tim about uh, opening up in China, I, I actually went out to, to China then to, to open up my, my first facility. So, that so was, tell, um, t- tell me how that uh, happened. How, yeah, how do you, so you're, you're in London you're, or you're working with OSG or you're actually learning yeah. at OSG. 
you've been in China backpacking. How do you make the connection to because record storage is about uh, is about a building and is about racking and is about space yeah. and is about software and is about all kinds of things. How do you get that all going? Do you just did you just then decide okay I'm going and fly over and start negotiating deals? How did this all transpire? Well, one word springs to mind, and that's uh, tough. It was it was it was uh, quite a struggle, I'd say. Um, for example, you know, it took a good eight months before I was able to get a business license just to open up a facility and and, and uh, open shop, basically. So that was tough. Also, the first time I applied, I was turned down by the authorities because they they wanted me to open a joint venture with a local partner, but um, I was trying to do it alone. In the end, uh, the uh, second time round, they they uh, allowed that, and um, so I was the first company to be um, wholly foreign owned in in China for records management. And uh, yeah, so it took a good, uh, I think, nine to ten months before uh, I opened the facility. Funnily enough, I got my first client before that, so I, I kid you not, but the first week of getting this client, it was only 50 boxes, I actually had to store them in my apartment, um, but, <laughs> but, but that, that was a secret and probably isn't now. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That is so cool. So you didn't even have a bill, you didn't have a business license, but you, you're actually getting clients. That's so cool. So what else were the sort of early difficulties you faced? So you couldn't get a license, which means you probably can't get a building and you can't do all the things yeah, you need to do. Right. So how did you make this all happen? It it just seems insurmountable odds to me, but mm-hmm. what else happened? Okay, well, I think I've been, right. well, at this stage, I should really stress the, the incredible support that OSG gave me at the time. You know, they not only did they give me training, they also provided a business model, marketing material, and the IT platform, uh, and so on. So I think uh, that that was really a huge um, uh, support. Plus, they gave me credibility because it wasn't just when I was going to meetings, it wasn't just me with a brochure that, that, that I borrowed from Tim. It was you know also saying I'm part of a international organization that that, that facilitated things. But yeah, just through otherwise, you know, perseverance and uh, keep knocking on doors, um, especially on the sales side. Because at the time, the industry was very uh, nascent, and um, also early foreign companies were outsourcing. So then, it also took a while to to start getting uh, local companies to catch on to the whole outsourcing concept. Right. So in the early days, so you get your license and you get everything in place and you have your building and you've obviously got the software and the IT infrastructure to support you now. So what kind of clients, you you said international businesses that are resident Mm -hmm. in China seem to understand outsourcing more. So is that where all the early business came from? Is that where you got the initial business from? Yes, absolutely. So a mix of uh, multinationals and also smaller foreign companies but um that was really the, the the bread and butter but that that started changing um i'd say in the last 3 years when the the local companies started to um play a much bigger role in uh, at least in terms of volumes if not number of clients right you're getting started you've got this thing going you're building client base when did you feel like you got to the point where you had 
a sustainable business versus you were just trying to make the thing happen? When did it feel like you turned the corner from being mm -hmm. hungry to actually having a, a record center that worked for you? I think it probably was when I opened the second one in Guangzhou in 2005. So that's two years after I arrived. Because at that point, it kind of became clear that was, there were these huge cities in, in China that had pent-up demand for, for this service, which was still barely being catered for. And, yeah. um, you know, Rancho, for example, has, um, has around uh, 11 to, to 15 million people. And uh, there wasn't re that, that the, the records management service wasn't being provided for in, in a professional way at, at that time. So... And, and being a, able to get uh, significant clients there was, was really encouraging and, and gave me confidence to carry on. So in a city that large, there's obviously a lot of international business that comes into a city like that, all the global brands. Mm -hmm. Are those some of the early kind of clients you had in that city as well, or was it more local? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, the, 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 the foreign ones, so, including Hong Kong companies, actually. they okay. that, that, that market was pretty um, aware and, and, and comfortable with, uh, with outsourcing um, document storage. Right. So you now have six locations. That's what it shows on your website. How did these yes. new locations keep happening? I mean, you're, you're obviously, you go into a city and there's 10 million people. I mean, in North America, there's not that many 10 million cities. There's, you know, there are big four yeah. or five in North America in general. You've got a lot of those big cities. So did it, did it feel like after you had your second one, they just started coming more, it, it just made more sense to open new record centers? Yes and no. I think uh, from a financial standpoint, it wasn't a case that I could just go in there and kind of hope for the best. Usually I'd be uh, drawn in by um, a large client like happening in Guangzhou. Okay. Uh, and most recently in uh, central China. So that's been kind of the, the, the latest growth wave. So it opened in two cities in, in central China, which um Chongqing and Chengdu. So again, uh, we, there we opened for, for a large client. However, this time it was uh, for a Chinese uh, client. So it's interesting to see how, how the country is evolving. More of the action now is, is with local companies, especially the, the the larger ones, such as insurance companies. Right. But you have established now for yourself, a, I would call it a brand, but within within the country now, you're a known yeah. entity. You've been there for, for nine years, it looks like. Uh, so it, you're part of the business scenery now, at least for the companies that know you. Uh, you're not trying to sell something that nobody understands. Right. Yeah, the, it is now an easier um, sell, and also the once once you've got a more established facility, i.e., pretty full, that 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 is amazing how just that psychological effect of coming into a relatively full warehouse can uh, can reassure uh, prospects. So um, uh, that it's kind of a snowball effect, I think, in in, in the uh, industry. Well, right. uh, at least. Um, amongst whoever it might be, admin people and our potential clients, they, they these people talk amongst themselves, and um, it's becoming a widely accepted uh, industry and uh, general business chapter. Right. 
So looking back on the last nine years, what have been the reasons, the success principles that have really driven the growth of the business? Like to me, you're going into a new country as much as you see it as an opportunity. Were you just out pounding the pavement or knocking on doors? Or how did, how did you grow this thing from nothing to something? Mm-hmm. How did you get in front of the right people? How did you know which people to get in front of? Um, I mean, there's so many questions that I have in terms of how did you make this thing all happen? And now you've got six locations and, and you're obviously a significant presence mm-hmm. in the Chinese marketplace. What was the success tips or what would you attribute the success mm-hmm. of, of this all to? Well, I think on the macro side, the um, the industry was was really waking up. So on the micro side, it was it was just important to 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 be there to catch to capture um, a lot of the the opportunities. But I think initially it was it, it was more about banging on doors and uh, getting getting ourselves heard. I think now the local companies, for example. Um, Searching for such providers and uh, so, you know, web marketing is a lot more um, important. Apart from kind of the, the the marketing and sales side, I think the a key thing at DataBox has been just delivering on on a high end service. So we've, we've had very little um, client loss. Um, so touch wood, our reputation is is, is good and, and will remain so, and, and that helps. Because, for example, insurance is a target industry for for us, and uh, we're getting a lot of Chinese insurance companies. And part of that is just through word of mouth amongst uh, people in, in in those companies saying, uh, you know, the data box already uh, storing boxes, you know, for for certain insurance companies, and that's having a, a great snowball effect. Right. So early on, did you surround yourself with people who had local business connections, or were you just doing this on your own? Did did you did you get some staff members? Mm-hmm. How did that all transpire early on? I think early on, it was a lot more relying on me and and the foreign uh, community in uh, places like Shanghai, especially. Um, but as time has gone on, we've, we're relying more and more on um, on local contacts, and okay. um, I think that, that you know that that's where um, where more and more of the action is going to be. Right. I think uh, as a foreigner, it's, I can have less influence now. I think in uh, in, in growing the business and, uh, from a sales point of view, compared to um, the early days when it was all about getting uh, foreign companies. Right. So you continue to uh, have a significant partnership with OSG. Tell me more about that and and how that continues to help you, or is is that reduced in its role? Tell me tell me more about the ongoing partnership you have with OSG. Um, yeah, now it's it's less. The in fact, there's been a change of ownership at, at OSG, and uh, we've also rebranded to to DataBox at, uh, over two years ago now. Um, so I think I mean now the, um, they're basically the company that uh, we refer clients in China when they need when they have a request for um, storage outside of China. So that it, it, it has a much more um, limited role, even though you know we have good relations with, with OSG, and uh, I'm very um, thankful and uh, grateful for all, all the support that they've provided over the years. Yeah. 
So with all you know now, so you've been at this nine years in in China. If you had the ability to go back to 2003 and either give yourself advice or do something differently, what might you have done differently to build the business knowing what you know today? That's a good question. Um, I think um, even though my Chinese, my Chinese is pretty good, I would have um, really taken the first three to six months and just studied Chinese uh, properly. I think I under, underestimated the importance of, of having really high-level Chinese ability, especially uh, in managing uh, local staff, but as well for, um, for building relationships with, with um, local companies. Right. That that'd be one. I think another one, um, probably try to um, go into China in, in a bigger way, i.e. Uh, financially. So for example, being able to uh, buy the properties or um, make more use of, kind of local contacts. So get get more senior salespeople on board from uh, from, from China. I think that that would have um, that would have been good. So in in many cases you're dealing with many of the same issues that record centers around the around the rest of the world we deal with is capital is a huge part of this business. Yes, it is. I think with hindsight, um, the the property market has been booming like ever since I've got there. So I think it would have been good to to have benefited from from that as a. Yeah, um, building owner rather than uh, leasing. Uh, but the, I think what one thing that that's different about China on uh, the sales side is that the relationships are probably more important than in uh, in the West, which um, is more about you know kind of clear transparent tenders and so on. And I'm right. kind of making it a bit black and white there to make the point, but um, I think in, in China the uh, one should not underestimate the, um, the importance of good good relationships to, to get deals done. Hmm. Tell me about what the future looks like for you. Where are you headed? What are you trying to accomplish? What's your big dream for this? Are you going to be 15 record centers? You, you're going to be 20? You're going to be 200? What are you thinking? Before, the thinking was um, trying to get more dots on the map and uh, really establish a national network of, of key cities. But that that phase is over now. Now it's more about uh, improving the um, the the profitability, basically, of of each record center. So I think growing to new cities will happen more slowly and on a, on a more um, careful basis, on a, on more profitable terms. If so, if a client um, does request that we open a new center in a new city, um, we'll we'll do that on. Um, on, on more on more interesting pricing terms for us. Right. Okay. So somebody comes to you at say you meet them at a conference and they say to you, "Hey, I, I want to go open internationally. I want to open a record center in an emerging market. What what advice would you give them?" I'd say, um, if possible, try to um, learn get get some experience in that country business wise. First of all, on somebody else's um, shoulders if they can afford that time-wise, and also um, set themselves clear-cut goals so that uh, if, they're, if they're not meeting certain, certain benchmarks, to, to also be ready to, to pull the plug on um, maybe not the whole enterprise, but perhaps certain parts of, um, of, of the business plan. 
I think I think, I think the places like China are kind of as a foreign dazzle you because of the 1.4 billion people, the growth story, and so on. But um, one one shouldn't get um, overexcited about that and, and really um, be uh, quite rational and and realistic about all the challenges of, of doing business in, in such case. So right. Proceed with caution. Yeah. Well, uh, Florian, it's been great talking to you. I, I realize we've had a, uh, a little bit of a struggle making the recording happen, but uh, thanks for taking the time to, uh, to tell us about your story, about the, uh, the success you've had at Databox, and continued success in where you're going. I can only imagine uh, lots of interesting things in your future, and I'm going to continue to watch with uh, interest in terms of how your story unfolds. Thanks, Tom. It's been a pleasure being on um, your program and um, looking forward to uh, listening to more podcasts, basically, from your um, um, internet station over the coming months and years. All right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for talking okay. to us. Bye-bye. Alrighty, we're back into the studio feed, and wow, yeah, I gotta say that uh, that line was a little rough. Sorry about that, but uh, it's good to know that we actually got to hear that amazing story. Can you imagine? Hey, I'm gonna start up a record center in China. You're working at a a a financial company. You're you're working there, and you decide you're gonna go into the records management business, not in your backyard, but in China. Uh, and nine years later, running a six-location operation. What a cool story. And uh, I'm really grateful to Florian for taking the time, not just what you heard, but for all the hassles that uh, he was involved in just trying to make this uh, connection work this morning. And so uh, continued success to Florian and what he's doing. And as always, special thanks to our sponsor, O'Neill Software. O'Neill is committed to leading the industry. They have uh, their software installed in over a thousand record centers in at least 80 countries, ranging from startups to multinationals. If you're interested in being one of them, and uh, you know, ultimately that's a great idea. You can learn more about that at O'NeillSoft.com. Well, that's it. We are out of here. Thanks for being with us. We'll catch up next week. Have a good one. Thanks for joining us on the RIM Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. Join us again soon.